Well, we're at the end of our story today, and not just this one small story, the story of Acts, the whole book of Acts. We're at the end of it. Jesus continues his mission after his ascension. This is kind of like what the story of Acts is all about. And we've spent 33 weeks going through these 28 chapters, often at what probably feels like a very quick pace. At least it does for me, the guy who's mostly trying to figure out how to teach through these things. But the end is not the end. This end that we have, it's not really an end. You know, uh, like how when you see a film and the ending of a film kind of not just like leaves a possibility open for a sequel, but feels like that film, even though it's the ending of the film, it's like the beginning of a whole new world, a whole new universe kind of opens up. Uh, The first time I saw Star Wars, and maybe I don't have the same thing for you if you're at my kind of nerd level, maybe you're at a different nerd level somewhere else. But the first time I saw Star Wars, the ending, I was like, this is an ending, but like, I want to know more about Luke. I want to know more about this Darth Vader character and this whole universe full of like creatures and the Force. And like, I feel like we just got an introduction to the whole thing. And that's kind of what we have here in Acts. The end isn't the end. It's the beginning of, of a new world. And I promise to only wake, make one more Star Wars reference during this message. So Paul, after a long and arduous journey, is now in Rome waiting to see Caesar. This has been kind of multiple chapters worth. Paul is on his way to see Caesar. He's on his way to see Rome. This is very far away from Jerusalem, very far off to the west. And in these verses, what we're going to look at is... The first thing is how hope continues to motivate, how the gospel continues to be controversial, and how Jesus continues his mission. How hope continues to motivate, how the gospel continues to be controversial, and how Jesus continues his mission. So let's just jump right in and get to this first point. Hope continues to motivate. Now when Paul finally gets to Rome, there are Christians who hear about him coming there and they come to see him. Now, if you're not familiar with the form of Appius and you, uh, you know, you're totally within your rights to not know where that place is, on the Appian Way, by the way, it's about 43 miles south of Rome. So it's a, it's a, it's a journey, it's a trek. And if you've never been able to visit the three taverns, that was 21 miles south of Rome. So these people are literally going out of their way to see Paul. In Acts uh, 28, in chapter 15, Uh, It says this, the brothers and sisters there had heard that that, uh, we were coming. This is uh, Luke and Paul and their crew. And they traveled as far as these places, the forum, the three taverns. At the sight of these people, Paul thanked God and was encouraged. He was encouraged that they came around. Just seeing them gave Paul hope. Just seeing other Christians gave Paul hope. He's like, there are others like me. They're in it with me. They're in my corner. They're praying with me. They're walking with the same Jesus as me. I mean, C.S. Lewis described friendship as that moment when you're both kind of like, oh, you too. I think there's this connection. And this is what we get to see, what we're seeing here. This is spiritual friendship, where the bond is based on the bedrock of God's love for us. Now, I think when we get to see more people in real life, whenever that might be, whenever it makes sense and when it's safe for us to do so, there will be a similar reaction within Redeemer. Like just seeing people that you love, like it brightens our hearts. It gives us hope being with them physically. And that often means that at least one person has to go out of their way for for another. I mean, here, this is like, you know, 45 miles. When you're walking or when you're on horseback or whatever, whatever the mode of transportation was, 
That's a long time. It, it takes a long time to get there. And often it means both people have to go out of their way to interact with each other. I think this is going to be much more difficult coming out of lockdown because we're going to be used to uh, our, our, those muscles that used to get worked a little bit more often of giving something up for community are going to be less used. Our schedules, meeting places, just the, the energy of meeting up in person. Sometimes it can feel like having to travel 43 miles, even though we're not. Uh, man, oh, all the way to Rome. Nah, let's just chill here. What's on Netflix? You know, that, that would kind of probably be my default mode. But relationships that don't cost anything really aren't worth much. And so we always are going to have to be giving something. And, but what we get is, is so much more than what we give. And God has designed us to get hope through others. That's how he's designed us. It's how we keep our motivation in our walk with Jesus. We don't do this thing alone. We do it with other people. And going alone will leave us hopeless because we're meant to go with others. And that's what gives us hope. Now, Paul does what seems like a crazy thing. Because of the Jewish people who were bent on seeing Paul go down, he has been accused He's been unjustly imprisoned. He's shuffled around from one government official to another. He, basically, there are murderous plots set against him. And he would rather face Caesar than face these religious people in Jerusalem who want to kill him. Now, when he gets to Rome, not more than three days later, what is Paul doing? He is gathering these Jewish religious leaders up again and trying to speak to them about the same thing that got him in chains to begin with. He's calling the Jewish leaders together to talk to them about Jesus. I mean, does he have some kind of death wish? Like, is he just kind of thick? Like, what's the deal? What's going on here? Well, Paul gets hope from others, but what kind of hope is it? It's the hope of Jesus. It's the hope of Jesus. And this continues to motivate Paul. As he says in verse 20, as he's talking to these guys, he's saying, it is because of the hope of Israel that I am bound with this chain. For Paul, this means come chains or not, come death threats or not, come justice or injustice in this world. Paul's hope is found in Jesus. Jesus is the one who is the motivation behind all of what Paul is doing. The one hope in Jesus outweighs all the hopes of all the other things. And that's, that, that's a lot, especially when Paul is looking in, into the face of his own death. The hope to be seen is good in others' eyes. That's another hope. We, could be, we, we want to be seen as good in other people's eyes. That's a hope we can have. Uh, we want to be seen as successful in other people's eyes. We ourselves want to be seen as good, like within ourselves. We ourselves want to feel that level of success. But the hope of Israel is something that outweighs all of that. Actually, the hope of Israel means something very specific here. In the Old Testament, God promises people that one day a rescuer would come, someone who would put wrong or put right all the wrongs in this world, someone who would also take the wrong things of ourselves, take them upon himself, and make us right by giving us his goodness. Paul in Acts 26.7, which is a few chapters back, says that this is the promise, our 12 tribes of Israel, this is the promise Israel are hoping to see fulfilled as they earnestly serve God day and night. These are religious people who are earnestly serving God nonstop, day and night, and the hope that they're searching for through that service is found in Jesus, is fulfilled in Jesus, can only be found in Jesus. Now, God always makes good on his promises, and his promise to rescue his people once and for all came through God himself, through Jesus. Now, why does this matter to us today? 
I'm not Jewish. I'm not living 2,000 years ago. I'm not going through this kind of ritualistic day and night kind of serving thing. Um, why does it matter? Well, this is good news for all of us who earnestly are hoping for a better world, who are working for a better world. And maybe it's through your job. Maybe it's through how you spend your money, the things that you buy. Your, maybe it's how you interact with your neighbors, where it's where you choose to live and how you choose to live there. We are all probably all earnestly working, hoping for a better world tomorrow than today. There's at least that hope within us that it will be better tomorrow. And this hope that you have, that we have, is fulfilled by Jesus. This better world won't come through your work first. It won't. It comes through Jesus, through God himself stepping in and changing things. And most importantly, changing you. Because you need more of that change than the world around you. And that's something we need to constantly be bringing ourselves to. Now, this doesn't mean that you or I or whoever else, it doesn't mean that we shouldn't work. Uh, we should. Jesus worked. He worked really hard. Paul worked. He's, he's obviously working really hard here. But our work should be an overflow of the hope that we get through Jesus. We can't work ourselves to hope. That's called religion. That's empty religion. That's not what Jesus is about. That will actually make us work ourselves to death if we try and go that route. But if we work from hope, from hope given to us through another source, through a better source, through Jesus, that allows us to work hard and work for this better world that we want to see and allows us to enjoy life as well. Both of those things can happen. Now, hope, hope, hope is this kind of weird thing. It can be kind of esoteric if we don't really talk about it and, and, and describe kind of what it is. It's simultaneously something that's in front of us but also in this story, we're kind of seeing how it's with us as well. It's the direction of where we're going, but also the fuel to get us there. It's where we're setting our eyes and the energy that's going to take us there. Now, I've used the metaphor of Colin on his bike before. When Colin was learning how to ride his bike, uh, wherever he turned his head, of course, that's like where his bike would go. So I had to tell him, wherever you look, where you look towards is where you'll end up. And that's, that's like a hope set in front of us. If he turns his head, then the bike is going to go there as well. So he has to look ahead to where he wants to go. And that's where he'll pedal towards. That's where his energy and his, and his, his trajectory will go. Uh, the same thing for us. So, so that's, that's the idea of hope being something ahead of us. If your hope is in Jesus, this is why it's important for us to read the Bible. This is why it's important for us to pray. It keeps our head where it needs to be, fixed where it needs to be, so we can have that forward momentum on Jesus, so that our lives can follow through with where we're going. Now, that's hope ahead of us. But hope is also the fuel. It's also with us. And we see that comes through a bit more in our story today. It's because of Paul's hope in God that motivates him to keep going and not give up. The hope of Israel is what is what is making Paul do this thing. Hope continues to motivate, and hope in God is a well that will never run dry. Even if we feel dry ourselves, there's always going to be enough for us to do what God wants us to do in the moment. And it will continue to motivate us. When we wake up in the morning, Where, uh, what energy are we working out of? Are we bringing ourselves to God, asking him to kind of give us what we need for the day? Are we working out of our own power? Because we're just, you know, getting grit through this thing and, and bear it. Are we working through like the love of our partner that, that we get from them? And that's like the motivation and the hope that we need. I mean, do we even know? Do we even think about this? Again, it's very basic Christian habit of being in the word and praying, of reading the Bible and praying. It's a very basic Christian habit, simple habit. If we did that consistently over time, 
And some of us do, some of us can get better at it and all that kind of stuff. If we did that over time, that changes us. That's actually the kind of thing that we need, the change that's going to give us the change that we need. And uh, we do this with others where we can, as Paul did. Now, Paul presents for us a picture of what it looks like to live this out, even in the worst of circumstances. None of us right now are in Paul's situation. And so Paul is doing this in the worst of circumstances. He can do it in our circumstances. Paul's hope comes through other people, seeing other people, being encouraged by it, and it's based on Jesus. The bedrock is Jesus. And it's in front of Paul, but it's also right there with him. Both of those things at the same time. And because of this, Paul was able to live this big life and not burn out. He was able to have this immense love for other people and not feel completely overwhelmed. It wasn't because Paul was amazing, but because Jesus is amazing. And Jesus gives us hope, and that hope continues to motivate us. So we need hope for us to be something ahead of us and something with us, right there with us. The more we connect with Jesus, the more he is our hope, not just in the future, but in the now. And and that always requires others. The more we're going to be able to live in the way that will allow us to enjoy life and allow us to work for this kind of better day tomorrow aspect that we see going on in Acts. This is what we need to continue on as God's people. Without it, we despair. So that's about hope. Let's move on to this uh, second point. The gospel continues to be controversial. So hope continues to motivate and the gospel continues to be controversial. So just uh, starting in verse 23, Paul is talking to these religious leaders about Jesus Uh, and trying to persuade them about Jesus, as it says, morning to evening. See, Paul's working hard. He's not kind of just like laying back and letting God do his thing and he doesn't do anything. Paul knows for God to do his thing, he's going to be working through Paul. So Paul's working hard. And Paul talked about the kingdom of God. He went through the Torah, the, the prophets, the book of Moses, and explained how it points to Jesus. And some do believe here, but others would not believe. It's a really interesting way that Luke puts that. They would not believe. He doesn't. Paul or Luke doesn't say that they simply disagreed, or maybe they had like kind of a slightly different perspective or different point of view. They refused to believe. In fact, there's a, one specific word in Greek means disbelief. So they are actively disbelieving. It's, it's an active word to disbelieve. As much as belief is active, disbelief is active as well. Both of those things. And if we're passive in in belief, that will eventually just become disbelief. And of course, there was a disagreement among themselves. This is, isn't, and, and isn't this like what conservative evangelicalism does? Aren't we really, really good at disagreeing amongst ourselves? There might be a real problem that exists out there. There might be like a, a, a there are real gospel issues and, and things that we can work together with. But what we're really good at is not doing that. What we're really good at is disagreeing amongst ourselves. And that's just part of active disbelief when we disagree amongst ourselves on things that don't matter. Or things that keep us from believing, as it does here. And then Paul quotes Isaiah, and they get angry and leave. And you can see why they get angry and leave, because the uh, the quote uh, isn't super nice. Um, this is Isaiah the prophet in the Old Testament. Uh, Paul quotes him and says, Go to this people and say, You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. 
of course they leave after that. <laughs> like, that's it. We're done with this guy. Now, what is this all about? This, this quote, does God not want to heal people? I thought he did. Like, what was this quote about? Well, Paul is quoting Isaiah in the Old Testament. Isaiah was a prophet, a mouthpiece for God. And uh, in this particular situation, this is God is coming against his people in judgment. Something he's, he's like said over and over and over again. I'm going to do this. If you keep on not listening, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. Basically, what God is saying to Israel is this. Your hearts are dull. They are too dull. Your, your hearts are too hard. Your hearts are too bent on keeping me kind of at an arm's length. You're doing all the religious things, but you're not really interacting with me. And that is leaving you dull. You're not responding to me. You're not turning to me for the healing that you need, the healing that I can give. Turning to me would heal you, but you refuse to do so. So I will not heal you. That's basically kind of a bit of a paraphrase, maybe. Then Paul tells them that the healing all humans need hasn't just come to religious Jewish people. It's come to those who aren't Jewish, who aren't religious, and they're going to listen. And not being Jewish, I get to be included in that. So God is gathering a people for himself from all kinds of backgrounds, from religious Judaism to irreligious pagans in Rome. Some are religious, some are not. Some are conservative, some are liberal, some are young, some are old, some support city, some support united. People with difficult histories of sexual partners, of alcohol, of drugs, of greed, of trying to be really good, of having that respectable car and house and job, of being nice. All of that is just background. That's all background. And God calls people from all kinds of backgrounds. All of that is just background. It's Jesus who's front and center in the foreground for all of us who follow him. So regardless of whatever kind of background we've come from, or even what background we're in, for those who follow Jesus, he's the one who's front and center, and all of our lives need to be conformed to him. That's not always easy. That's going to change how we view sexual ethics. That's going to change what we do with our time, what we do with our money, what we do with our energy and our efforts, our emotions, our relationships, everything. Jesus wants all of us. And every little part of us that keeps him away, keeps him at arm's length, that's preventing him from giving us the healing that we need. And what we see with Jesus is that his message was controversial. That radical inclusivity continues to be controversial for those inside the church and outside of the church. Because Jesus is making a family for himself and there's always room for more. There's always room for more. He has taken up residence in our hearts. And these hearts come from all kinds of backgrounds. There's always room for more. That, that radical inclusivity is controversial. But also, the kind of radical call to follow Jesus on, on, and, and align our lives with him, that's controversial as well. We don't like all the things we read in the Bible for all sorts of reasons. People here are disagreeing. Some are believing, yes. Others are actively disbelieving. And there's not a clear consensus among these religious people. And eventually, they leave Paul. And these are Paul's last words in this book. That's his last words in this book of Acts. Paul is kind of like a, a Yoda figure, right? I told you, there's giving me another Star Wars reference. No apologies. Paul, Paul is like the wise leader of this early church. And uh, we've been recently re-watching Star Wars with Colin. Um, and in Return of the Jedi, which has been Colin's favorite, probably because of the Ewoks, in Return of the Jedi, uh, Yoda dies. Like Luke is kind of like, bugging Yoda with all these questions. I mean, if I was Luke, I'd have loads of other questions too. But Yoda speaks the words that he believes are most important. 
He's not answering all of Luke's questions. He's giving Luke what he thinks he needs to continue on the journey that Luke is on. And what are Paul's last words in this book, in Acts? Well, it's, it's all about Jesus. That's what his last words are about. He's all about Jesus. He's trying to convince people who are religious to know Jesus. He's trying to convince us who are reading it millennia later to know about Jesus. And Jesus, then and today, continues to be controversial. His message is and was controversial. So let's expect this controversy. And you know what? Actually, we probably do. I don't think any of us would be taken off guard about how someone might view the gospel as controversial or the church as controversial. We know it's going to be controversial, right? So maybe actually that's not the difficult thing for us to get. I think what is difficult is to proceed in spite of it, which is, again, what Paul did. Paul knew it was more controversial. Like, he was in chains. Of course he knew it was controversial. But he proceeded in spite of that controversy. He kept going. He kept telling about Jesus. Now, most of us don't really enjoy getting embroiled in controversy. Uh, now, if you do, that's a whole other problem. We could talk about that some other time. But most of us don't really engage in controversy often. We don't like the feeling of having our guts wrenched. Like, I, I just don't. I don't like that gut-wrenching feeling of not making someone happy. I love to make other people happy. I'm a people pleaser at heart. And when other people aren't happy, it, it's disturbing. It disturbs me. We don't like getting blanked. We don't like being made fun of. We don't, and, and fair enough, right? Of course. And maybe this is really the reality. We don't like the anxiety of having to think of what other people are thinking of us. Maybe people are actually not really thinking about us nearly as much as we think they are. But we don't like that anxiety of having to put ourselves in their brains and have to think, oh, I wonder what they're thinking about me. Like, there's lots of layers here, right? So how did Paul proceed here? Because he knew it was controversial. How did Paul proceed? What did we learn? Simply, he loved others more than himself. He loved other people more than himself. He loved these religious Jewish people, even, uh, Rome, even in Rome, uh, saying that he, in the book of Romans, saying he would rather cut himself off from his people if that meant hope for the people who he was trying to persuade to Jesus. These are the same people, who, why, why he's in chains, these are the same people who tried to kill him. He loved others more than his own fear, more than his own anxiety, more than his own loneliness, more than his own well-being, more than his own freedom. Paul is walking in the way of Jesus. Of course, Paul is a very small example of what Jesus has done in that way. Now, I know I'm not there. I don't love other people more than myself as often as I should. And I'm afraid of controversy just as much as the next person. But I want to be there. I want to be like Paul. I want, I want to be like Jesus and to love other people and to die for the people who are calling, you know, calling me names. I would love to have that, that big heart, that God-like heart. So if Paul is like here, like super close to the camera, can't even focus on me because it's too close. If this is where Paul is and I'm like way back here, can I even get further away? I'm like out of focus. I'm just like lighting isn't even good back here. I'm like way back here. Paul's all the way up there. Uh, how do I get from here to there? Often it's not through leaps and bounds. It's just through the slow and steady walk of walking with Jesus day after day, slowly, inch by inch. And, and, and it's not always forward progress, is it? Because sometimes you go forward, and then you go back, and then you go back, and you go back, and then you go forward. It's hard to tell. It's hard to tell. 
But if we're not doing that slow work of being with Jesus day after day, inch by inch, we can be guaranteed there will be no forward progress. And it might be one of those things where in the moment, it feels like you're not going anywhere. But then you look behind you and you realize, oh, actually, like God really has taken me a bit. Now, that takes a long time to have that kind of that rear view because our movements are slow. Our walk is slow. And so it, it might take, you know, years before we realize the progress that we've made. But if we're walking with Jesus, he is going to carry us forward by ourselves. We will slide back. That's what we're really good at. What Jesus is really good at is taking those who are bent on sliding back and moving us forward gently, slowly in his time. I bring myself back to Jesus. I bring myself back to his word, to his people. I bring myself back to prayer and I walk from where I am. Jesus doesn't call me to be somebody else. He calls me to be who I am. Jesus knows where I am better than I do. And he is calling all of us, wherever we are, to walk with him on that very small, next, tiny, little baby step. He doesn't want you to be somebody else. You're not Paul. Like, stop. You're who you are. I need Jesus to change my heart where I am, as Greg, standing here, to have a love for others outweigh whatever else I'm afraid of. I want the weight that I have the love for others to outweigh whatever else I'm afraid of, whatever kind of controversies might hold me back. And I know, and I'm confident, that over time, Jesus will do that through me. Now, the gospel is controversial to others. And we didn't even get to how controversial it is to us. That's not what the story is about, but that's a whole other issue, right? This will always be true. It's not going to change. The gospel will always be controversial. Jesus will always be controversial. Bringing yourself to the word will always feel like a battle. It just will. That's just how this life is. The only thing we can hope to change, the only thing we can hope to be different, though, is us. And that's really the only thing we have kind of power over anyway. So it works out. To have a love for someone else that surpasses this controversy, only walking with with Jesus will will get us there, will change us to be those kinds of people. And speaking of walking with Jesus, our last point in the whole series of Acts, these 33 weeks, our last point is this, Jesus continues his mission. Jesus continues his mission. In fact, this could just have easily been the subtitle or the, the title for the whole sermon series, Jesus continues his mission. How does he do this? From the book of Acts, in the very beginning, Chapter 1, verse 6, the disciples are asking Jesus a question, and uh, they're not even really asking what they should be asking, but Jesus answers them in the way that they, that they should know. Basically, in, in Acts 1-6, the disciples are looking at Jesus, he's, he's about to ascend into heaven, and they say, Lord, the resurrected Lord, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And they're, they're looking for a political reality. They're looking for like a, a, a space and time reality there, right there, like that particular land being restored to Israel. And of course, the answer to that is yes, but not in the way the disciples are thinking. Lord, are you now going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Yes, but not the kingdom you're expecting and not in the way that you're expecting. And Jesus' answer to them, he says in verse 8, but you will receive power. When the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So Jesus is going to restore the kingdom through his people, through the church. Jesus continues his mission through the church. The you, in verse 8, you will receive power. You will be my witnesses. The you is not individual, it's plural. 
because Jesus works through his church. And, and this part is kind of part of our series. It's on the back of your Acts books there, chap, uh, chapter 1, verse 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And at the end of our story, what do we see in verse 31? What do we see at the very last verse, from the beginning to the end? What do we see? The gospel continues to be proclaimed. The kingdom continues to be expanded with all boldness, no hindrance, unlike every other kingdom on earth through Jesus' church. This is what Jesus does. He works through us. Paul was facing Rome while this is being written. Now, that isn't just a, a point to take lightly. This is the world's superpower. This is more, this is like every, every first world country combined into one. This is Rome. If you were placing bets, you'd be foolish to bet on this small Christian community. And yet, look what God has done. Look what God has done. Rome has come and gone. You can tour the ruins. It's cheap even. And as, as have many nations and kingdoms have come and gone, yet Christianity continues to grow. It has continued to grow. God's kingdom continues to expand and do the very thing that's going on here in verse 31. Percentage-wise, there are more Christians in the world now than there ever have been. There's no kind of golden age of Christianity where it like peaked and crested. It's continued to grow, continued to expand. That's difficult for us because we don't see that in our particular context in Manchester, do we? But Christianity is a global Thing. It's not just a local thing, it's global. And as we've seen from Acts 28 to now, the continued expansion of God's kingdom happens through his church. Now, some of you will know that we're part of a church network called Acts 29. And maybe you've looked there before in your Bibles and you're like, hold on, is this even biblical? What's the deal with this thing? Now, it's about this very thing that Paul's talking about, the very thing that Paul was about with his, his, his life, starting new churches, or, or what's also called planting churches. Theologian and author C. Peter Wagner um, says, has this great quote. It says, Planting new churches is the most effective evangelistic methodology known under heaven. The most effective evangelistic methodology known under heaven. It was then, in Paul's time, it is now, in our time. The name Acts 29 comes from this idea that Jesus continues his mission through the church. And we continue by joining him through planting churches. As we read chapter 28 we find the story doesn't end. There's not a full stop there or an exclamation mark, whatever might you have, whatever you might have there. It's an ellipsis, you know, the dot, dot, dot thing, an ellipsis. So he proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance, dot, dot, dot. And a little while later, a gospel form family on mission planted Redeemer Church in Charlton, dot, dot, dot. What next? And we're, this is a story that we're a part of. This is the stream we get to step into and be a part of, being part of this Christian tradition. And Jesus is continuing his mission through Redeemer in the same way that he walks with us. And often that's really slow, isn't it? It feels slow. It's not explosive. There's not leaps. There's not bounds. It's mostly at a slow pace. But, you know, there's a, there's a mercy in it being slow in some ways, too. But it's just one step, one step, one step. But all these steps, eventually they accumulate. And it may not feel like you're moving in the moment, but after time, again, with a bit of patience, as we look back, we see the progress Jesus has made through us individually and see the progress Jesus is making through our church as we go forward. 
on Sundays from when we started from meeting in my house downstairs in the in our middle room to dulcimer to also still at my house because of dulcimer not opening all the time to the royal oak and and now on zoom who could have planned any of that right we didn't know we have to like this was going to happen yet in all of this our family the redeemer family has grown praise god for this and people who are in it I have seen a depth in character come from you guys in, in, in a way that is super encouraging to know that Jesus is still at work, still doing his thing. And maybe you don't feel it yourself. And this is why we need other people speaking into our lives because sometimes we don't see it, but other people on the outside, they see. They say, wow, you've grown. Hope is here and the darkness continues to get pushed back. We started as one missional community and now there's three. We started with two missional community leaders. Now there's 10. We've launched core groups in there as well. We've given money to reach out to the community, to interact, to, to help with the relationships they have with people who are homeless. We've, uh, are, we are helping another Acts 29 church start in Salerno, Italy. We've helped start a park run. We've helped a skate park expand for youth. And we're now helping asylum seekers through Boaz Trust. We're starting an international internship program. We have two discipleship training tracks. All of this is Jesus working through his church. None of this is anyone amazing and Redeemer doing anything. This is Jesus working through his church. This is normal and natural for us to be a part of. And in the small amount of time that we've had, with the small amount of resources just a handful of people. Jesus is working through us. He's doing all this just through us. We are joining God in his mission to make all things new for Manchester to more reflect heaven. And we're not even two years old. What, what could we be like in another two years? What could we be like giving this over this next year? There's going to be lots of ways for us to help other people, especially with anxiety, mental health problems, uh, maybe physical health problems. Obviously, there's going to be lots of ways that we can get involved and continue Jesus' work in the place that he has us. Now, the same thing for Paul is the same thing for us. We proclaim the kingdom of God. Gospel, this is what it means to be a gospel-formed family on mission. And we teach about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance because the same spirit at work then is the spirit at work now in you. Maybe you don't feel it. I would love for you to feel it. In some ways, I don't really care if you feel it or not. It's true. The spirit is working through you, through all of our deficiencies, through all of our inefficiencies and all of our fear and our failure and all of our worst times, as well as all of our mountaintop experiences, you know, when we're really sensing God's presence, we're really feeling it, and all of our successes, and all of our moments where, where, that we celebrate in our best times. It's, if it's about the Father's plan, set in action by the Son, empowered through us by the Spirit, whether we're feeling it or not, this is what He does. He continues His mission through His church. He doesn't do it through an individual as Paul's life attested to even. If anyone could have been an individual about it, Paul could have been. And maybe we view him through this kind of hero lens. But I hope as we've gone through this book, we've seen how many people have come along with Paul. How many people that without these other people, you know, Paul wouldn't have been Paul. How can you plant a church just by yourself? Like it requires other people to be part of a church. 
As Paul's life attested to, he does this. He's always working through the local church, starting new churches where they need to be started. A family formed by his gospel, brought together in his power on his mission. And the only way that we can join in with this, the only way that we can go, is because Jesus went first. He went first so we can go. Jesus was motivated by the hope of a people for himself. That's what Jesus' motivation was. Who he would reveal his love to and through whom he would reveal his love to others. That's what the people he wanted. He wanted people to enjoy his love and he wanted these people to be able to communicate that love to other people. Jesus' message, the gospel, was controversial to Jesus. It put him on the cross. It killed him. Jesus' death, though, was our death. And his love for us is what kept him going. And as he went about this, he prayed. As he went about this, he went to the Father. And Jesus continues his mission to us, giving us the hope that we need. His life is our life. He is the hope we need. And he continues his mission through us, giving us the fuel we need in the moment through the power of the Holy Spirit. And as we continue to walk in the way of Jesus, let's remember where we've come from. Acts 28 is part of our story as a church. And if you're not part of Redeemer yet, it could be part of your story as well. The God of Acts is our God. It's the same God. His hope is our motivation. That his gospel continues to be controversial. Lord, give us a love for others that, that would outweigh that controversy. And he continues his mission through us. Let me pray.